Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome, and thanks to Brian Kelly for passing the baton to me, and thanks to you for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly if you have any questions or concerns either about weather or anything else, you know where you can call. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I still have some of my houseplants slash tropicals outside. I don't know if I'm going to get them all moved in or not. I don't have that many, but they are very heavy. And sometimes I go, ooh. So I might just move them up close to the house for another day or week or so and then move them in a little bit later. Haven't decided yet. But every Saturday morning, we do get together to discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, your house plants, like I was just speaking of. If you're bringing your house plants in, make sure that you check the underside of the leaves and the potting mix for any kind of insect problems, potentially. And the soil improvement. Great time of year to get out there and make some changes to your soil. But first, get a soil test and find out what's going on in that spot that's going to help you out or your plant material a lot in the future. You're pruning your bugs, diseases, planting, removal, and how to make the best choices. But please remember my words, strictly open opportunities. After that, it's going to be an effort on your part in this great marathon that is called gardening. And forget the sprints. The sprints don't last. Well, sprints are quick anyway, so I guess sprints last as long as they should. But a sprint is not going to take care of any kind of circumstance for very long. Is it? And this is your show, and I appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg. He's again producing today. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. And during the week, I do something I call a walk and talk, which is a landscape consultation where I come to your home, answer all the questions or concerns that you may have and perceive, as well as keep my eyes and ears open for things that may be impacting your landscape, whether it's from lawn to the top of the trees that you, you know, don't quite understand or anything else. I sort of use my 40, over 40 years experience. Actually, let's see, 77 is when I came back to St. Louis and started the Botanical Garden. This is 2017. Is that 40 years or is that 50 years? I don't know. I failed third grade math. Anyway, the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. The baseball season for the Cardinals is over, though the World Series continues on. I thought, well, since this past, I think it was this past week, there was a thing about Ballpark Village is still being added to a new development there that's going to make it even more village-like. So I thought, well, why not take my good gardening stroll on part of Ballpark Village? So I headed downtown, and uh, I decided, well, let's do the west side. of. Normally I do the east side of Ballpark Village parking area and all that other stuff, but let's do the west side. That's between... 
Clark and Walnut along 8th Street. At the Walnut intersection, well, there's steps that come up from the sidewalk. There's some boulders there to accent. There's blue rug junipers. There's some fountain grass and a maple tree and uh, some hydrangeas. These hydrangeas, all the flower bracts, that's basically what is left, have turned brown. So that's you can prune those off if you want to, but you certainly don't have to. Then there's a metallic fence that runs both south and north, or south and east, let's put it that way, at that intersection, and uh, goes down to where the cars can enter the parking lot space. And starting rates, that's what they, you know, basically are parking rates. One of the parking rates I thought was interesting, you get, you, I forget what it is, I think for 20 minutes you pay $1. So who would park for 20 minutes for one and pay a dollar? But any fraction over that 20 minutes and you could pay, you're going to be charged another dollar. So that was kind of interesting concept. I've never seen hours broken down like that. But uh, anyway, further down as we head south, there's some feather reed grass. There's some purple leafed wygelia. There's actually some hydrangeas along there that are in full flower. I mean, the fresh flowers, pure white, not the bracts turning brown or any of that other stuff because that kind of caught me by surprise. So those are mixed in with some evergreens, some cypress. So Leland cypress. There was some chickadees, or no, actually right here there were sparrows. They were bouncing all over the ground, and they were underneath a maple tree. So they were hoping these maple trees had dropped their seeds, and if not, they were going to go up into the trees and get the seeds and pluck them out themselves. So the birds are very, very smart. And uh, the roots of these maples are starting to be exposed. So it's just like what maple trees do. These are on kind of a slope, so you can expect that to happen, whether your yard is sloped or even level with various trees. And in particular, if you have heavy-duty clay-type soils. So then that same sequence is repeated all the way down to Clark Street. So there's hydrangeas, some feathery grass, some purple leaf wygelias, and a maple tree, and the cypress as well. So then across this, you know, across Clark, that's where you're going to see the statues of all of Cardinal Greats highlighted by some red lighting in the background. And that's where these Cardinal, I guess, souvenir store is. So all kinds of stuff going on on the west side a ballpark village, and I think that's where the new you know development's going to be is in that parking lot area. So, anyway, should be great fun and everything else. I'd be interested to see how this whole thing comes about. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you do have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Attention metro area high school principals and counselors. Submit your nomination now for the 25th annual KMOX Southeast Missouri State University Student of Achievement Program. Log on to KMOX.com SOA to nominate one junior level high school student who deserves recognition for their achievements in academics, sports, community service, and leadership. The KMOX Southeast Missouri State University Student of Achievement Program, produced in partnership with Southeast Missouri State University and News Radio 1120 KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, we're going to be taking a phone call shortly, but if you do have any questions or concerns or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Just realize that soon it's going to be cold 
and you're probably going to be shutting down your irrigation systems and sh- maybe bringing your hoses in and all that other kind of stuff and shutting off the inside faucets, you know, of your leads to the outside faucet for your hoses. So, but water your landscape. I mean, it is still dry. They keep saying we're going to have all these big storms, and yes, it did rain some this past week, and it rained gently, so it wasn't a lot of rain rain off or runoff, I should say. But consequently, I went out and probed around in my landscape, in the beds and in the lawn areas. There wasn't enough water to really penetrate very deeply at all. And the problem is when the weather gets really cold, it's not getting that severely cold yet, but... There's air pockets around the root systems, the feeder roots of all types of different plants, basically all plants. Cold air sinks into those and can really do some damage to the feeder roots. And the feeder roots are what's most responsible for plant health. It absorbs nutrients and moisture from the soil, and then it sends it up through the vascular system or slash veins up to the leaves, and then the leaves turn that into food. Now, deciduous trees this time of year, you go, well, Are they still absorbing stuff? Yes, they continue to absorb it just to keep everything hydrated, whether there's foliage on like deciduous trees or not. And then on the conifers, it's going to be a little bit slower and everything else, but still the moisture is very, very important. Probably, I don't want to say the most important thing because the soil is probably most important, but water is very close to uh, being in a tie with soil and moisture. The same thing needed. Janet lives in Baldwin. Janet, how are you today? Good, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have two quick questions. Um, I think I know the answer to the first one, but um, is it? Did I miss the window for putting azalea bushes in the ground? Uh, broadleaf evergreens. It's going to be. It's very, very tight. I, are they still available? Um, I don't know, but I was going to go out today and see if I could pick up a couple. Well, if if you get them at a great reduced price, you can just, you know, kind of roll the dice and take a chance. But it is, you know, without knowing what the weather's going to do or anything else, just make sure that I probably would not plant them today. I leave, in their, leave them in their pots. If you get some, bring them home, put them in a somewhat of a protected spot and water them really well. And then wait till the weather warms up a little bit before you stick them in the ground. Okay. And then the second question I have is, um, is it okay to uh, prune uh, knockoff roses Uh, right now? It's too early. Okay. You want to make sure that it has a really hard freeze because those rose hips, in other words, when a a rose finishes flowering, it drops the petals and it forms that little ball on the end of the stem where the flower was. Those things kind of signal to the rose plant in general, it's time to start going to sleep. So if you keep pruning it off, it's not getting that signal to go dormant. And so just leave them alone until it's probably, you know, I don't know weather-wise, but at least mid to late November, if not early December. Okay, great. All right, thank you so much. Yep. Now I say that, but even with my knockout roses, I have been pruning a little bit of, a, let's say, the willowy growth off the ones that I, the four that I have growing in pots. So thanks, Janet. And now let's jump to Illinois and go over to Bill's yard in Centralia. Hi, Bill. Hey, how are you today? Very good. Uh, I was, uh, we have a a very mature uh, rubber plant, and I was wanting to know, it's been outside and we just brought it in, I was wanting to know how we could get a start off of that. Uh, This time of year you don't want to do that, but wait until the days start getting longer, sometime February, early March. But what you can do is just take a stem cutting. 
So you want to make a cut about a 45-degree angle, go to your favorite garden center and get some rooting hormone, which is a powder. You're going to dip that cutting. The cutting you only want to be uh, probably maybe six or eight inches long and pro- with only probably two leaves on it. You don't want a whole lot of leaves necessarily. So uh, it's a six or eight inches, two leaves. The cut is made at a 45-degree angle. You dip the stem where you made the cut into this rooting hormone, this powder, and then you put it in a small pot, you know, with virtually potting mix for starting plants. It's very specific. And then kind of just go from there. Okay. And then the second question I have is on my... On my mature pines that were planted in the windbreak in 88, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be a good time to trim some of the dead limbs on the bottom out? Anytime. Dead wood can be removed at any time. Okay. Just make sure you cut it all the way close to the trunk so you only leave a very small stub. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. And pruning on the you know conifers just in general, Probably in another month, you can start doing some pruning on, you know, not just dead branches, but branches that have needles. Thanks, Bill. And I'll stay in Illinois and go to New Baden and see what's going on in John's yard. Hi, John. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Hey, I appreciate your show. Uh, I have a question concerning a magnolia bush that grows uh, alongside my garage between two windows. I'm wondering when I'll be able to prune that back. And about how much can I prune it back? Well, first of all, if you know, there's technically no magnolia bush per se. There's a lot of them that have multiple trunks coming up out of the ground. And if you prune it now, you're pruning off the flowers for the springtime. So you're not going to have the flowers, everything you cut off. So normally with anything that's flowers in the spring, you prune right after it finishes flowering. But I don't know what variety, what color flowers does this magnolia have? Uh, they're kind of like white and purple. Okay, so it's probably a saucer magnolia type. Now, some of them are, can get quite large, so I don't know how much space you have here as far as planting-wise. How wide is the, the area that it's growing in? Well, it's between two windows of my garage. Yeah, but I'm talking right about from the base again. of the garage out to, let's say, the sidewalk or something like that. Oh, to the driveway, it's about uh, three feet. Ooh, See, I would give great – I don't know how long the magnolia has been in space or in this particular place, but you are going to have to battle this thing for year every year basically after it starts getting well-established because it's going to be a, you know, constantly a pruning nightmare. So I don't know who suggested you that you would put it in that area. But anyway, give good consideration to the fact that maybe next year when the weather starts warming up, to actually get the magnolia, dig it up out of this, and put it across on the other side of the driveway where, you know, it's going to be much better, and then replace it with, like, a trellis that you can grow vines on in this spot between the two windows. Because a three-foot-wide okay. space is not very big for any kind of tree-slash-shrub at all. Okay. So I'm saying just go beyond the fact that, yes, you can keep it where it is. You can continue to prune. You can do something you know, called the spalier and all this other crazy stuff. But it's just it's going to make work that is just unnecessary if, you know, if the plant had been put into a spot where it can actually be mature and not cause all this pruning problem. All righty. Well, I appreciate that information. I mean, I had a landscape. When I built the house, I had a landscaper design the front house, part right. of the house, and they're the ones that planted this 
Magnolia. Wow. In a three-foot-wide space. I don't understand that. That does, this just doesn't make sense. So anyway, I won't badger that much more. But, uh, you know, give it some you know, some true consideration about getting it out of that spot. And like I said, you can have a trellis. There's other things that you could put in there that, you know, even if you wanted just something that's evergreen, there's a variety of you, Y-E-W, called Hicks, and it just grows straight up. It only gets about, you know, two feet wide at the most. So that might be something to consider in that location if you don't want to have a trellis with vines growing on it. But there's not too many things that can grow in a really narrow space that's not going to cause you problems with just maintenance and pruning and care, all that, you know, all related to that. So anyway, thanks, John, and uh, good luck with that. The choice is going to be certainly yours. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Recently planted, you know, let's say broadleaf evergreens like the lady that called in about her azaleas and stuff. I mean, there's people that recommend putting burlap up to, you know, as sort of as a windshield for recently installed broadleaf evergreens, things that have been in the ground less than two years. You know, to be honest with you, you could certainly do something like that, but I, you know, Personally, I put plants out there, and I do everything normally, but I don't go beyond, let's say, what I consider normal. So if you want to put a burlap you know, windshield, that's great. That's fine. But uh, they're going to be t- the plants have to get toughened up in any way, and if they die, they die, which is a tragic circumstance. But, uh, you know, nothing looks weirder to me than a yard full of less pe- you know, pieces of burlap staked up. John in Melville, how are you doing today? Hi, Mike. Doing great. Hey, I was wondering at this time of year, is it a waste of time and material to spray Roundup on on weeds and brush? For the most part, yes, because especially the plants are very much slowing down. So for the Roundup to be absorbed and you know translocated all the way down through the vascular system into the roots, it is pretty right. much of a you know kind of a waste of time, waste of effort, and a waste of money both. You could certainly try it. It may weaken the plants, and then you could go back out next spring when things start warming up again. Because a lot of times, just one application Roundup is really not going to necessarily kill, and especially if you're talking about anything that's woody-oriented. Uh, you know, herbaceous things you know, that you're just trying to kill, let's say weeds or grasses that you're just trying to get rid of, you, one application may work, but most of the time, even with that, it's going to take more than one application, even as strong as Roundup happens to be. Right. Uh, this is Woody, and I've put it on before, and I've been working it. I just thought if now was not a good time. Uh, all right. Which type of Roundup are you putting in? Are you putting the one on that says poison ivy killer, Woody plant killer? Yes. Okay, so if you're using that, I don't know how big these things are that you're trying to kill, but in the future, when you're right before, the better way to do it rather than spraying it on the foliage is to cut a bunch of the branches or trunks down to a couple feet, and they just paint the concentrate of this Roundup for killing woody plants right on the open wound right after you make the cut, as opposed to spraying it on the foliage and wanting it to be absorbed through the foliage down through the vascular system. What you're doing is you're just making the trip for the Roundup a little bit shorter. Okay, great. All right. All right. Thank you. Yep, good luck, John. And now let's go back to Illinois again. Wow. Illinois people are wide awake today to Godfrey, and that's where Rob lives. Hi, Bar- Hi, Rob. Good morning, Mike. 
Hi. I have a question about when's the best time to move peonies and irises? Uh, with both of them, if you could have got it done earlier this month, you're fine. If you can do it relatively soon, you still got an opportunity to do that. Just realize with the peonies that you're probably going to not get the same color that you know they have currently, because usually when they're translocated, or they just kind of you know their chemistry, the soil chemistry, and everything else is going to be different in the new location, and it does affect the color. It shouldn't affect the flowering that much if they're good, healthy plant materials. But both with the iris, iris should be okay if we're talking about the tuber, tuberous type iris. But anything that's a perennial, you should get it done as soon as possible. All right. Is there anything I should do to, to increase the odds since I'm a little late? <laughs> Water it the night before, before you dig them up. And also okay. have the area where you're moving them to already prepared. So in other words, you don't sort of dig them up and go, oh, I got to go over here and add some compost. I got to add something to the soil. I got to do this. I got to do that. Get everything prepared so you can just pop them up out of the ground. And with the peonies, leave them sit up uh, above the ground for one day because when you first dig up peonies, the root systems are going to be like sticks. They're going to be really brittle. But for some reason, exposing them to air, they become a little bit more pliable and flexible. That way, they, you know, they acclimate to the new location much better. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. Have a great day. Well, same to you, and good luck with that. Yeah, we're kind of on the cut. If, if you start feeling a little bit e uneasy about it, what you can do is just get this bed space prepared for these guys. Don't move them this fall, but wait until next spring to do it. Now, the disadvantage of that is it might interrupt some of the flowering, not just color-wise. It might just interrupt the flowering entirely. So just, you know, you, you have to be flexible with that. So, anyway, thanks, Rob. And now let's go to, what is it, Panna? Panna, Illinois. Pana, Illinois. Pana, Illinois. And that's where Joe lives. Hi, Joe. Hey. Morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, Joe, Joe here. Uh, calling about a Chicago fig. Um, I purchased it earlier this year uh, from a mail order thing, had the dried out or had the bare roots. The plant is growing very vigorously. And after finding out, I, I planted it close to a building. And uh, basically what I want to do is see what I need precautions I need to do to transplant it. It's grown to a height of about close to three to four feet in a mm -hmm. very short period of time. It started out about two feet tall. Right. Very vigorous, very green. What's your suggestion, sir? Uh, we're talking about a hardy variety of fig. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, okay. Chicago fig. Right. So I don't, the varieties are, you know, specific varieties I don't know. But in essence, uh, is, you know, as far as you're wanting to dig it up from this location and putting it in another one, just make sure that it's a good sunny location. When you dig it up, I mean, there's probably not much of a root ball yet. Even though it has grown or almost double its size, the root ball probably hasn't grown that much. But go, you know, certainly beyond the size of the, what the root was initially. As I told the gentleman, just the prior caller, make sure you water the, you know, water the fig you know, very well the night before. But I probably would not move it this year. I'd wait until next spring sometime, mid to late March, and do it at that time. Okay. Uh, one of the questions as far as when I do transplant it, is any certain fertilizer mix or anything I should put in the hole that I make where I place the root ball? No, don't put any fertilizer in the hole. When you're transplanting anything, fertilizer is not the best thing to do. Just have it nice and organic, well-drained, that type stuff, and that's when you add the compost for all that, you know, all that factor. But no fertilizer down in the hole at all, and probably no fertilizer for the first full year. And just let it get, you know, let it get established and then kind of, you know, go from that point. Okay. 
Thanks very much. I appreciate your show. I'm a long-time listener. Well, great. <laughs> well, thank great. you, and great. thanks for having thanks me on your show. If anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. University of Missouri, they're one of the places where you can send your soil samples to have them tested. And the importance of the soil testing, well, when is the best time to take a soil sample? This is some information that the University of Missouri has you know, that I just happened to, let's say, steal from them. No, I just took it off the Internet, or they sent me something. But anyway, it's you can do it in the spring or the fall, either time. But if you do it now, there's less people getting soil testing done now, so they're going to be better, you know, or faster getting the soil samples tested for you and the information back to you so you can make modifications if you do need to. And the soil test is going to tell you all kinds of different things. It's going to say, well... <sighs> these nutrients, what are these nutrients? I don't understand what they are. But it's going to tell you exactly soil pHs and you know, circumstances like that. Soil pH is related to the fact of the soil chemistry. So it's like salty stuff, salty soil, even though it's not salty per se, versus vinegary soil. So acidic versus alkaline. And certain plants don't do so well in, let's say, a lilac would not like an acidic soil where an azalea doesn't like an alkaline soil or a holly doesn't like an alkaline soil. So the soil testing pH is one of the crucial things. Also, nutrient-wise, you may already have extravagant levels of certain nutrients in your soil, but you continue to put the same fertilizer down, and we continue to find out that when soil tests are done in plant material, whether it's lawn, whether it's perennials, whether it's annuals, or whatever it happens to be, the plant material is not doing well, and somebody will say, I've been very you know, good about fertilizing and everything else. Well, sometimes the fertilizing you know, keeps adding like phosphorus and potassium to extreme levels, and that starts dehydrating the soil root system circumstances, and so you think you're doing good, but you're not. You're going to save yourself a lot of money and a lot of grief by having a soil test done. There's all kinds of different, you know, there's private companies as well as the University of Missouri that will do the soil testing. If you don't know exactly how to take the sample, what you need to do is probably go online and just look at how to take a soil sample. That way you're going to see exactly what you need to do, how much you need to take, as opposed to me trying to, you know, like explain it. But it's very easy to do, and the soil testing is very crucial. And you should have a soil test done probably every two to three years at the most. And if there's areas, even if you think everything is doing well, go ahead and get a soil test done because you don't know if there's something right on the cusp that may cause some problems. Let's go to John and Peevely. Let's get John before we take a break. Hey, John. Hello. Hi. I, I, uh, I, I dug up a, a pecan tree about 20 years ago, and now it's about a foot in diameter. And in this year, it had a few pecans on it. What do I need to do after the pecans all drop to uh, get it ready for the winter, get it ready for next year? Uh, basically nothing. What you can do some, is something called deep root feeding, where you go out halfway from the trunk out to the extension of the branches, the drip line. You get an Electric drill, you know, battery-powered, whatever, and an earth auger, which is a drill bit that's about an inch, and just start augering holes around and backfill those holes with compost. That's the best thing you can do just for the overall health of any tree. Okay. And that's about in, it. In the spring, uh, don't, don't fertilize it or anything? No, you don't need to. If it's healthy, okay. the leaves are full size and everything else, what you're doing is soil feeds 
plant materials. So if you have a healthy soil by adding that compost, then you're fine. So, But if you start to see discoloration or things like that in the leaves, then that's when you would have to think about, as I'm looking out the window here at KMWX, there's an oak tree that's straight out the window that has been yellowish, and that's because of where it's growing. The soil is too alkaline. So somebody, it's a city park, but uh, what would have to happen if this was happening to your tree is you would have to get something to change the soil pH because of the color of the leaves. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen or anything else. But just if the leaves are healthy, full size, and everything else, just continue to auger these holes and fill them with compost. And now go to the good city and auger these holes. How deep do I go? Uh, About uh, six to eight inches. Okay. And I put how many around the tree? Uh, You know, probably just put them every couple feet and then go out another foot and then do do a a concentric circle all the way around. So, Okay. Is Is there a certain kind of compost that I should use? No. doesn't really matter. No. Just so okay. it's true compost. Okay. Okay. Sounds real good. I appreciate your, your help. Thanks a lot. You, you've helped me before on apple trees and stuff. It's been real good. All right. So great. Thank well, thanks. Thank thanks, you. John. Thank, yep. thank That's you. That's John from Peevely and Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, we're back to Illinois, going to Freeburg, and that's where Alex lives. Hi, Alex. Hi. I'm from Freeburg. Great. Go ahead. Freeburg. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, I hope I wasn't too late. I hope you haven't talked about a butterfly bush yet. But um, how far do you cut one back, and is there any special treatment? Basically, you know, butterfly bush, they have the kind of the grayish foliage, so they would prefer an alkaline soil. You don't have to make, that just means above seven. It doesn't, you don't have to do anything special if it looks healthy. You don't have to cut it back at all. You only cut it back because if you want to, what you can do is just wait until the springtime rolls around, see what the winter damage has been done, then cut off anything that's not starting to leaf out and just leave it alone. You don't need to prune it. It's not going to make any difference at all as far as its performance or anything else. They're oh, always go- okay. They're always going to be okay. wild and rangy. They're not going to be tight, you know, tight-knit shrub by any means. So as long as you understand that and you have it in a space in the full sun where it can just kind of go crazy growth-wise, then you're going to have more opportunity for all s- types of insects coming by and uh, taking advantage of their flowers. Oh, Okay. I have one more question, if that's all right. Uh, We just transplanted a hydrangea bush. Um, Do we do anything special? We're watering it because the ground's so dry naturally. Basically, Um, that's about all you need to do. Definitely don't fertilize going into wintertime. Okay. And cutting it back, trimming it or anything? Just leave it alone. Oh, I that's my husband's kind of gardening. <laughs> <laughs> it's always easier to do that because if it's a variety that blooms in the springtime, you prune it now, you get no flowers. And if it's one that does, you know, blooms in the summertime, that's fine. But why not just wait until win- let winter do its pruning weather-wise, then get rid of all that stuff, then do the pruning in the springtime. Going into wintertime, I just hate to prune, to be honest with you. I just think yeah. it you know, c- can cause all kinds of you know, grief emotionally and aesthetically and all those type things. Okay. All right. Thanks, Alex. Yep. Thank you. 
Let's go to Olivet now and go into Rich's yard. Hi, Rich. Hello, sir. Hi. Uh, I've got a rose of Sharon bush that's mm-hmm. kind of taken over my front yard. It's up above my gutter line. And I was wondering if I can cut it or, or relocate it. Uh, if it's that big, the root ball is probably going to be about a thousand pounds. I'm exaggerating weight wise. <laughs> so it's going to take a lot of effort to move it. You can prune it because it's a summer bloomer. You can virtually, you know, cut it back since it's up over your gutters, you know, potentially dropping junk. I'd at least cut some of it off going into wintertime and, you know, do some major pruning in the springtime just as the new growth starts and, um, but, yeah, it's, if it ultimately needs to be moved to a new location, certainly consider that. You can maybe get a landscape company to come out and dig it up and move it for you. Okay. One other quick question, if I could, sir. Sure. I've got a good stand of zoysia grass, mm-hmm. and utilities come in and dig up the yard, and they put their grass seed down and things, and now I've got weeds in it. Of course. What kind of a, of a uh, 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 weed killer should I use? To not harm the zoysia grass. Basically, if they're broadleaf weeds, you can use like a weed be gone type thing as opposed to a grassy type weed. And effectiveness this time of year is probably going to be somewhat ineffective. You could give it a try if you want to, but don't expect a whole lot of kill, you know, as a result of it. But you could certainly weaken the weeds. Now, also, if you don't know exactly what kind of weeds these are, what you might do is take a sample to your favorite garden center, let them diagnose it because they may be annual weeds. And so that means, you know, getting rid of them in the future would be with a pre-emergent. If they're perennial-type weeds, that would mean using the Weed Be Gone or a broadleaf weed killer. Okay, yeah, this is what they call the spurge or sprue or something Oh, like that's that. a perennial. So some of, okay. some of them are perennials. So basically what you want to do is use the Weed Be Gone on it. This time of year, I don't know how well it's going to, you know, how effective it's going to be. Okay, so next spring, as soon as it starts to green up, or just what time next year? Yeah, just as soon as you get out there and you start looking around uh, and you you physically, visually notice it, that's when you want to go after it. Okay, very good. Thank you, sir. Yep, and a couple, probably several applications may be needed. Let's see if we can get one more call in before we go to break. Kathleen lives in Baldwin. Kathleen, how are you? Hello, Mike. Hi. How are you doing? Good. Um, I, have a, I have a really good friend who gave me three potted plants um the last warm spell uh one is an amaryllis one's a great hyacinth and one's a freesia problem is they're all growing right now right i don't believe they're supposed to be <laughs> well grape hyacinth i mean that's growing that's a hardy bulb for outside the freesia needs to be inside and the amaryllis needs to be inside so the grape hyacinth should go outside you know in a pot or in the ground the other two just leave it alone and let them grow even though it's growing, I mean, the, all the bulbs have sprouted. Right. That's fine. Because the grape hyacinth puts out foliage in the fall. And so then the foliage is going to stay there through the entire wintertime. And then in the springtime, the foliage is going to start looking a little bit rough. But then you're going to see the blue spikes of flowers coming up from those bulbs. Okay, then do I let the freesia and the emeralds die back now? Yeah, just leave them alone. You can cut them back. I would say since you're new with them, just let them go and see whatever happens with them. Freesia is a little bit tough to grow. Amaryllis is fairly easy. Uh, in the future, you might want to cut the amaryllis foliage off this time of year, let it go dormant for a couple months, then start watering it again, and then have flowers like sometime in January. Okay. That sounds good. Great. Yeah, well, look, right. good, good luck with the freesia. I've never had much luck growing them, you know, beyond, let's say, getting them initially. So 
Thanks, Kathleen. Greatly appreciated. And uh, Keith and Mary, we're going to have to get you after the news. If anybody else has any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mike Miller, I will be back after the news. The Voice of the Blues. News Radio 1120 KMOX. KMOX HD St. Louis. 102.5 KEZK HD3 St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.